0: Drawing from his 20-year background in finance and investing to help you make sense of your money matter. New Focus on Wealth. Get a new focus on personal finance, wealth management, Wall Street, and the economy. Now your host for New Focus on Wealth,
1: Chad Burton. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Chad Burton, Certified Financial Planner. If you've got a money question for the show, shoot me an email, chad at chadburton.com. I'm going to try to get to a couple emails later in the show here. I want to give a quick market update and this is as of February 15th close. So for the year, if we look at the total return and I look at actual ETFs versus the indexes, because, you know, there's the indexes and then you you have to have a way to invest in the index. That's usually by buying ETFs or the actual exact weightings of an index, which is much more difficult. But like you could buy SPY. That's the SP 500. There's also VOO, IVV, a bunch of different versions of it. But if I look at SPY total return, which includes dividends, SP 500 down 6.08 percent for the year. The Russell 2000 index, which is small and mid cap, down 7.37 for the year. International developed. If we look at EFA, EFA down 2.68. Emerging markets, EEM. is actually positive for the year, 1.19%. So international outperforming U.S. this year. The AG, AGG, an ETF that represents the Barclays Aggregate U.S. Bond Index is down 4.07%. And then if I look at, uh, for those of you listening in California, a basic ETF that buys California tax-free munis, CMF, down almost 4%, down 3.86% for the year. Now, what's interesting is everybody's talking about inflation. And I had a lot of questions about, you know, I-bonds and how how much they're paying. And then there's been, of course, a lot of questions about tips, even since last year with the idea that, okay, inflation is going to go up. Because if we look at what happened during the coronavirus, remember everything crashed, right? We had energy prices go, I mean, for a while, it was like negative on oil for, for, what was it, a week or so? energy prices just collapsed and then all of a sudden boom we go back to near 100 on oil prices and this massive amount of demand you have a massive amount of cash flowing in the market from ppp loans that were not needed from stimulus checks from raises and things like that so inflation today another you know report that shows inflation at 40-year highs now that'll calm down And I'll talk about that a little bit later in the show. But I want to talk about tips because I had a lot of questions about tips. If you remember, you know, if you you listen a lot, and listen to the podcast a lot, I was saying how a lot of bond managers saying tips were overvalued. They had a return of almost 6% in 2021. And tips, if you look at TIP, which is an ETF that holds treasury inflation-protected securities is down 4.3% for the year. So slightly worse than the overall U.S. bond market. Now, when you look this up, TIP, this ETF, investment seeks to track the investment results of Bloomberg U.S. Treasury Inflation-Protected Securities TIPS Index, which composed of inflation-protected U.S. Treasury bonds. Well, it seems like if you get inflation-protected U.S. Treasury bonds, you get the best of both worlds, right? The safest instrument in the world, backed by the U.S. government, plus inflation protection. Why are these things negative? We have a 40-year high of inflation reports. I mean, the headlines today talking about numbers even being higher than expected on food, for example. Now, Morningstar's got a pretty decent article on this, if you're trying to read about it, because... Just so you know what we do when we have fixed income inside of a balanced portfolio, and fixed income is the same thing as bonds, right? So when we have bonds, we kind of separate into our core bond holdings and our strategic bond holdings. And we rarely make the decision on, oh, it's time to go buy tips. Because you know, we're we're certified financial planners, we're financial analysts, we look at companies, we look at estates, we look at taxes. We're not necessarily specialists in, in tips. So we own funds, strategic income funds or kind of unconstrained bond funds where we let the group of managers that specialize in bonds and looking for value decide when to buy tips. And we noticed they kind of lightened up last year. So Morningstar cur- says, currently while inflation ratings have been getting hotter, investors are also expecting the Federal Reserve to take more aggressive action to put out the fire. With tips selling off, the market isn't reacting to the inflation news. It's reacting to expectations of strength by the Fed. So again, the tip ETF was up nearly 6% last year. So it's a a pure case of buy on the rumor of inflation and sell on the news. Going back to this Morningstar article, you can find it on morningstar.com, the turn in performance in early January for tips coincided with the shift by the Fed to take more aggressive action to raise interest rates and pull back the bond-buying purchases it had been making to pump money into the banking system during the recession. And if we remember, it was a very limited recession. It was a recession that really only ended up hitting travel leisure. Um, I guess restaurants is kind of part of the leisure piece of that. Meanwhile, almost every other business was having its best year ever in 2020 and in uh, 2021. And a lot of businesses, like I keep mentioning, that took these PPP loans and they were forgiven, didn't end up truly needing the money. And because their their businesses bounced back. And so then they had all of this extra money to pump into the economic system. That's what we're seeing the result of right now. Now, one way to see the impact of this, if, of the changes in inflation, because look, we have inflation is comparable you're always comparing to the same period last year on a month-by-month basis a quarter-by-quarter basis and an overall year-by-year basis so the comparables are, are are going to get a lot easier when we're looking at inflation it's not going to continue to go at this rate now it's going to be we, we enjoyed a couple of decades really of really low inflation so to be slightly higher makes sense there's there's kind of a, a wage reset that's needed at the lower uh, lower and middle class and so it, well continue i it, i just don't see it continuing at 7 8 9% it's just not going to continue to happen the fed's going to stop buying bonds rates are going to go up things will cool a bit um, recessions also slow down the world the idea of the great recession or the great resignation rather um well this, this Morningstar article is really good on this tip. So if you want to look it up, just go to morningstar.com and, and type in TIP in the search function. You'll see the this article. They say, one way to see the impact of changes and expectations around inflation and the Federal Reserve is to track the so-called break-even rate. This rate, which is the difference between the 10-year nominal treasury yield and the 10-year treasury inflation-protected security yield, represents the market's expectation of what inflation will be ten years down the line and over the course of 2021 the ten year break even rose from two to two point seven percent reflecting expectations for higher inflation and the five year break even registered two percent at the start of the year and peaked at three point two so what the market is telling us is that we're going from a ten year expectation of average inflation of two to two point seven percent and a five year Expectation going from 2% inflation to 3.2%. Does that sound like seven, eight, or nine? No. So, you know, you kind of often say the bond market's a little bit smarter than the stock market um, when it comes to trying to be a predictor of the economy, inflation, and things like that. Um, on the surface, it suggested a continued upward pressure on inflation expectations are there, but that's not the case. The ten-year break-even has fallen back to two point four percent, and the five-year at two point eight percent. So, even expectations as of recent have come down a little bit. We'll talk a little bit more about inflation tips and how to invest with inflation. Okay, a, a few other follow-ups about tips, Treasury Inflation Protected Securities, because I've had quite a few questions on it. Um, for for one thing tips because the face value is adjusted the when you look at uh, tip or any kind of ETF or fund online and you see this really high coupon rate or high high yield that can be very misleading tip coupon payments fluctuate with the level of inflation the coupon rate won't change but the coupon payment will and tips have fixed coupon rates which are based on the principal value of the security which goes up and down with inflation and so what, what you have is <laughs> it's kind of hard to say but when you when you get a, a dividend payment you look up something online you get the 30-day sec yield it takes the last dividend payment of that etf and it calculates the yield which can often be misleading so keep that in mind um, that's why when you look at various mutual funds or ETFs that hold tips, that's why the yields could be so different. Um, and it can it just be very distorted based on short-term fluctuations in the CPI, which are very huge right now. The biggest I've seen in my career in 28 years, there was an article that was written. Um, what did I just grab this? I think it was CNBC, um, towards the end of the year, And it was talking about, uh, well, individual tips yields are currently all negative. The quoted yields of many tip funds are positive because they include inflation compensation. The discrepancy stems from how some of the yields are calculated since calculation is different across different sponsors. So just keep that in mind. And it's the same thing about I-bonds. I-bonds change every uh, what six months or so in terms of what they pay. The base rate is basically zero. So, when we start to get comparables that are a lot easier next year, you can see a big drop of income on your i bonds. Um, so I don't mind people buying them all. You can't, you can't buy a ton, anyways. But uh, used to be a big family you could buy thirty grand in three different ways for a household a year, but can't do that anymore. All right, so uh, moving on a little bit. You know, again, I've been doing this for twenty eight years. And people always ask about certain geopolitical events. I mean, right now we have Russia and Ukraine. And, you know, ask me what I'm doing with portfolios. And and the last thing that you want to do is make adjustments based on news, especially these days. When half, well, let's, let's, let's face it, like most of the news out there is just plain garbage. Uh, Local news channels are almost funny. They do stories on what people see on Facebook. (laughs) It's like, come on. Um, To me, everything. Every time something goes down, whether it's Iraq, Kuwait, Russia, it's it's the same play. It's just different actors. You know how we all have been alive long enough now, where our favorite movies has now been remade two or three times. It's the same play with different actors, and the market perseveres and pushes through. You know, what Putin is doing isn't going to determine what most households are going to do this year. Besides, gasoline is now extremely expensive as a result of all this. So they might travel a lot less. Um, so it does come into play with inflation and, and how it affects households. There's two things right now going on that remind me of the dot com bust. The first one is that everybody's trading every time I go to any kind of a get together with friends or like I've, I've told you guys before, my daughter who's a junior in high school has a lot of her junior and senior friends where their parents opened up Robin hood accounts for them. So they're actually trading in between classes. Um, and so everybody being a trader that happened in 1998 and 99. Now, The market valuations do not remind me of 1998-99. 1998-99, there was companies that were skyrocketing that had zero revenue. Zero revenue because they had a dot-com or something in their name. They were IPOing, They were going public with zero revenue. Now, there's some of that going on hidden in SPACs and things like that. And there's definitely a, a bunch of garbage cryptocurrency going on out there. And all of a sudden, what do you do? Oh, I'm a crypto trader. Okay. Sweet. How long is that going to last? I, I was running into a whole bunch of day traders back in 98 and 99. Everybody's trading. The second thing is that the Super Bowl ads, and my oldest son pointed this out. The Super Bowl ads had so much crypto exposure into it and, and also crowd investing apps. Like, join the crowd, everybody get on the same page, and everybody start buying the same stock, and all the people are floating in the air. Super Bowl 34 that played in January of 2000 featured 14 advertisements from 14 different dot-com companies, each of which paid an average of $2.2 per spot. This is from Wikipedia. In addition, five companies that were founded before the dot-com bubble also ran tech-related ads and two before-game ads for a total of 21 different dot-com ads for the Super Bowl. These ads amounted for nearly twenty percent of the sixty-one spots available, and forty-four million in advertising. In addition to ads that ran during the game, several companies also purchased pre-game ads, most of which are lesser known. All of the publicly held companies which advertised saw their stocks slump after the game as the dot-com bubble began to rapidly deflate. The sheer amount of dot-com related ads was so unusual that Super Bowl thirty-four has been widely referred to as the dot-com Super Bowl. And it's used as the high watermark as the dot-com bubble. Now, check these out. Of all of the companies, 14 advertisements from 14 different companies, um, of those companies, four are still active, five were bought by other companies, and the remaining five died. They're, they're, they're gone. They just went out of business. And so while, you know, I, like I, I've said before, I own some crypto. Um, and there's definitely some uses for it. Most of the coins, it's it's like garbage, and people are talking about it as investing, and really it's a store of value. There's no revenue, there's no expenses, and there's, there's no profit that you can calculate. It is a store of value, and it's still priced in dollars. So I'm seeing a lot of crypto people, when they pump and dump stuff on social media, pointing to crypto due to massive debt out there in the governments, which makes sense in some of the emerging markets, but massive inflation coming is if we're going to face the seven to 9% inflation for the next 10 years, and somehow crypto will magically hedge against that. That is not proven yet. And again, the comparables are going to be a little bit tougher and this, these numbers will calm. Say hello to a pass that gives you endless travel for $2,500 per month with no nightly rates, taxes, or fees. You might call it the Suitcases always packed pass or the wait. I get to choose from 100,000 trips pass. The will it be the beach, city, mountains are all three pass. Or you could just call it what we call it, the Inspirato Pass. Endless travel for $2,500 per month with no nightly rates, taxes, or fees. Learn more at inspiratopass.com. All right, in other headlines today for February 16th, total prices rise 1% in January, up near a record 9.7% over the past year. So continued numbers showing up shocking signs of inflation at 40-year highs. Now, on this one, even when you strip out food and energy, we're still seeing numbers of 6% because the idea is that we're looking at energy costs and, you know, Russia has been kind of pulling this game ever since COVID hit in 2020 where they basically helped cause oil prices to crash. Um, I mean, for a while, oil prices were close to zero for a short time. And let's see, it was around April 27th or so, 2020. And now we're back to, gosh, 90, what, 92 a barrel or so on oil. So that is obviously going to throw inflation numbers way up and then we also had 40% increases in like used car prices and things like that um so the comparables will get easier you see what I mean you're not going to have that sort of increase year over year you get to a price point where companies can't raise prices anymore so far a lot of companies have had the ability to raise prices Um, and they've needed to because they're having to pay more um, because of the great recession now, what can cause a slowdown in the in the great? I'm sorry, the great resignation, where people are just jumping jobs left and right to get an extra, you know, certain amount of money per year. And what I remind people, and remind younger people that have not been through any kind of a recession because we haven't really had one since 08, 09, is that when you leave a job that you've been at four, five, six years to go to a brand new job because they're paying you a bit more. As soon as a recession comes and the layoffs hit, you're the first to go. Do you want to take that risk? We already have seen the 10-year... The if we look at a 20-year treasury rate versus the 30-year U.S. treasury rate, that's already inverted. The 30 years paying 1.98%. Um, and the 20-year is paying... Where are we at here? Let me look at this chart real quick. So... Yeah, the 30-year treasury rate is 2.29% and the 20-year treasury rate is 2.35%. So why would you buy that 30-year rate when the 20-year rate is, is slightly higher? And then the 10-year treasury rate's 1.98. It was 2% a couple of days ago. Um, so expectations of, of longer-term inflation has actually come down a bit. It's really the two-year and the 10-year rate that inverts that people say, oh, okay, a recession's around the corner um, because of that inverted yield curve. So, you know, okay, that's fine. It's, it's something that you can talk about in that, yeah, anywhere between, what is it? I can't even remember, two and like 18 months is the time frame, But also, in, recessions happen to come every five to seven years anyways on a normal clock. Um, so it's not necessarily the greatest predictor. But... Inflation comparables will calm down a bit during, like I said, COVID oil crash, then suddenly up to close to 100. Supply chain issues will continue to improve as, as places open up again from COVID shutdowns. Mm-hmm. Now, consumers, as they were pent up, shopped for a bunch of goods, you know, big ticket items, refrigerators, because they're stuck in their house and doing remodels, um, toys like ATVs and RVs and things like that. So huge demand for cars and toys. People had extra money from uh, stimulus checks and PPP loans. The idea now is that people will shift from goods and services. People have gone out to eat plenty now, right? Um, They went from not going out at all to lots of times. Okay, I'm going to start eating back at home now. I'm going to shift from goods to services. That'll help calm some inflation numbers, so while I believe we're going to have higher inflation for the next five, even 10 years than we had the previous decade of you know around 2% besides healthcare costs going up at five, I'm not convinced it's going to be runaway inflation. And once we do have some sort of recession, that will slow this great resignation where people are jumping jobs left and right and companies are having to you know pay hiring bonuses and things like that. Do you guys remember in 1998, 1999, kids were coming out of college with any kind of a degree that, you know, so they could create a website and they were getting BMWs as, as uh, sign on bonuses. I remember that because I'm like, did I choose the wrong business here? I'm doing financial planning for people with ridiculous stock options and brand new BMWs that were younger than I were and was suddenly making more money first, you know, day on the job as I'm sitting there trying to build a business and struggle. And um, that didn't last. Now, there does need to be a reset. There is, you know, there's been a problem at the lower and middle class in terms of wages being stagnant for too many years. So there definitely needs to be a reset. And now's a good time to do it because net profit margins of corporations were at all-time highs last year of the S P 500. So they can afford it. What's the best way to hedge against this? I told you guys a while ago that tips were not a great option that many were saying that TIPS, Treasury Inflation Protected Securities, were overvalued. And so that's played out. TIPS have underperformed the overall U.S. bond market this year. When, they're, they're great, though, when interest rates are high and coming down and there's inflation, they can be pretty valuable. But interest rates are low and heading up and we have inflation. The best way to invest to fight inflation over the long run is stocks and commodities in a situation like this if we continue to have inflation because the economy is is so heated up and we eventually get some sort of a, you know, stimulus package out there, I doubt it now in the next two years seems to be nothing that's going to happen through this administration at this point. Um, and we have more plants being built here in the U S for chips and things like that. It means commodities, which are, you know, anything from metals to coffee to whatever, it's all the stuff that goes into building or eating or whatever it may be becomes more expensive. And so, and then stocks, companies find a way to pass on higher prices to consumers. Good companies do that because we still have to continue to eat and enjoy life. So it's the fixed income that's hard, right? Because we have the overall bond market this year down um, and you're retiring, you're like, okay, what do I do here? Do I even want bonds? I've talked about stable value options and 401ks. Um, you know, w- once we get past 2% on the 10 year treasury solidly and we stay there, there could be some good bond buys out there. So you still need fixed income in your life, floating rate funds, strategic income, and some core when it comes to your bond exposure. But, if if we're seeing commodities you know become more expensive we're seeing inflation out there is i mean okay we're seeing inflation you're talking about a potentially inverted yield curve at some point at some point in a recession are you going to sell some stocks no i only sell down to what i need to for a person's actual required equity exposure so if your household target is stocks, 40% bonds and other assets, and you've grown to 70, it's probably time to peel it off. And the last thing I'm going to do is sell all my stocks during a recession if they're good companies because they pay dividends. In fact, the dividend yield on most good, well-designed stock portfolio can be just as high as the current Barclays aggregate bond index, (laughs) And so those, those companies still pay dividends during a recession and, and I like the income. So the key is, is that it's a good time to just look at your entire portfolio. If you're five years from retirement or in retirement, you need to calculate how much you're going to be drawing from your portfolio over and above your normal income, right? So if you take your all of your expenses, including ta- taxes and healthcare, minus social security, minus pension, minus very stable, predictable rental income and some dividends and interest. What is the amount on top of that you have to draw in terms of principal from your portfolio? Three years worth of that should be safe. And then you should be feeding that safe money with dividends and interest from your portfolio. A lot of people retire, they go into retirement, and they're continuing to reinvest their dividends and interest, yet they're needing to pull on their portfolio, which makes zero sense. So you have to think about that. So, it, it's a really good time to just take an overall look at your portfolio and say, okay, this is the fixed income. I'm not a big fan right now of bond ETFs or index bond funds. Not a fan. I think you need active management there. Um, and because interest rates are going up, the Fed is going to, is you know, they've been pumping tons of money into the bond system, and that's going to end. And then rates are going to rise in the short term. So it's a good time to take a look at your overall portfolio if you're five years from retirement or in retirement. You need to make sure you know what your safe money goal is and get that raised. But don't be afraid of stocks and going all in or all out just because of news. That's typically a major mistake. If you invest based on news or emotion, you're, you're usually going to lose. You're usually going to, over the long run, drastically underperform the stock market. I'm a big believer that 20-year periods, stock market still averages 10 11%. But it can be a wild ride. 70% of the time, it's positive. 30% of the time, it's negative. What you do during those 30% times, those negative times, basically sets in motion what your return is going to be for the next decade. If you screw up and panic and raise cash, and then the market ends up jumping right after you do that, you've locked in your losses. And then you got to figure out when you're going to get back in. They sit back and collect dividends and reinvest those dividends during a correction. You just bought more shares on sale and you're going to be a winner. So as long as you have enough cash to get through the tough times, you'll, you'll be good. You can continue to invest, to take advantage of the dips. Speaking of this, so Alex wrote in, um, hey, Chad, big fan of your show. I heard you mention you had a nice flow chart on your last podcast. Will you be able to share it with me? Um, so Alex, I'm not sure which one you were um, referring to. Um, but if you go to chadburton.com and you scroll down about three quarters of the way, man I got to update that picture I've had a beard for a couple of years, but <laughs> um, the, on the downloadable section there's you know how to choose a financial advisor 15 things to consider before retaining a financial advisor. There's a retirement planning guide. A lot of the flowcharts have to do with can I contribute to a Roth IRA? Can I do a backdoor Roth IRA? Can I do a mega backdoor Roth 401k? which a lot of people can do and they don't even know it, which is create, you know, get your pre-tax deferral in, get your employer match, and there's still a bunch of money that you can sock in after tax and get converted to a Roth inside your 401k plan. Cisco, Microsoft, Facebook, a lot of the companies have it. So check that out. Um, And then there was one, you know, in 2022, what issues should I consider at the start of the year? We're already, gosh, two and a half months into the start of the year, though. So yeah, check out all those flowcharts and downloadables. There. Um, another question. And this is kind of an interesting one. So I don't know if I, you know, truly have an answer for you on this one. Uh, this one is from Jeff. Jeff said, "Hi, Chad. Longtime listener. Enjoy the show. I've heard you talk about owning real estate as part of a diversified portfolio, and understand that the ability to use leverage is a key benefit. Also, I believe you have said that private real estate may not be as attractive due to liquidity and fees." I like the idea of diversifying with real estate, but as a beginner, I'm a bit apprehensive actually owning property given the risks and your recent horror stories. Um, I think what he's referring to is a stocks versus real estate show that I did not too long ago. Um, While I'm already investing in public ETFs, how do you feel about some of the newer private real estate sites like Fundrise, CrowdStreet, etc., ones that are open to all investors and not just accredited ones? With five year lockups, liquidity and fees seem to potential issues, but couldn't you say the fees are like paying a property manager? If I have a long term time horizon and want to add exposure, are these decent options? And if so, what are the good things to consider when looking at these investments? Um, And he usually listens to the show on Apple Podcasts. Well, so first of all, I haven't dug into Fundrise, CrowdStreet, and some of these other. Real estate deals that were created post... You know, what was it that Obama did that kind of created these easier ways to to own money? I I have seen in 28 years, most of the time where I've seen people be very, very disappointed on their real estate investments had to do when they're investing in privately traded stuff, right? Um, in fact, there was a... a uh, very popular radio show host that used to be on the air and between not having actual data to back up his income strategy that said there was data, um, there was also a lot of investors that felt very burned by this all cash non-traded REIT issue that when it finally went public, it was very disappointing. And then there's other stories of that I can talk about throughout my career. You know, I like owning property directly and I like owning REITs inside my retirement accounts. When you're retired and you want to own REITs, which are funds that, you know, buy specific types of of properties, whether it's apartments or senior housing or nursing homes or hospitals, you can buy all sorts of different REITs and own real estate without the headache of having to be property managers and leverage and all that other stuff if if i'm going to own real estate i'd rather own it direct so i can be in control of the property and know exactly what my income and expenses look like so i can make the decision do i want to keep it or do i want to sell it or do a 1031 exchange into a new property so uh you know jeff i would have to really dig into one of these fundrise crowd streets and things like that but where real estate prices are i don't have a desire to do that so if anybody has let me know. I'd like to hear your opinion on it. Fundrise, CrowdStream, different ways to get into real estate. It concerns me. You know, It's, just, it's one of those things that it felt like as real estate got really popular and everybody wanted in, those things kind of popped up. And I'm kind of like, why? We already have REITs, real estate investment trusts, um, that you can invest in. And if you want out, you can push a button and sell it. Simple as that. And again, to me... Um, where real estate can keep up with or exceed the returns of stocks is because of typically the leveraging that you can do where you're borrowing money to buy the asset that grows and then you get income. I am seeing way too many people own properties that if they look at their net income from the properties, not even counting depreciation, it's less than 2 or 3%. and And that's not good for real estate. That means your prices really have to appreciate. So it's a really good time to analyze each of your properties and figure out what your true return is. Um, we do a lot of that in our financial planning process at EP Wealth. So if you need some help with your financial planning, your money management, just go to chadburton.com. So you can find out about our team at EP Wealth offices and all over the Bay Area, all over the country for that matter. Um, just shoot me an email chat at chadburton.com if you have a question for the show if you go to chadburton.com there's links there's the downloadables and there's links to each of the different platforms so you can listen to the podcast whenever you want thanks for listening please tell us around about the show